Lord, speak to me tonight. It's okay if you talk to the person next to me. But I have to hear something from you. In Jesus' name, amen. James. Let's go to the book of James. James, James, James. Those of you that know much about the Bible, whenever somebody starts a service by saying, let's go to the book of James, you just cringe a little bit. You're like, oh, no. Not that book again. He, that's the mean book in the Bible. Is James and Revelation are the ones you're afraid of because James is mean and Revelation is scary. So you never want to go there. Uh, but you always want to go there, really, because they're so full of incredible stuff that speaks to our lives. Now, we're just going to read a couple of verses in James chapter 4. Is everybody doing okay? We all focused? If you focus for nothing else in the service, this is the part that I want you to hear. This is the Word of God. We're going to read it together, and I want you guys to hear this because the Word will change your life. My words, they may be funny, they may, uh, they may apply to your lives, but literally the Word of God is something that can absolutely change you. Amen? Amen. So let's just focus in. James chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 16. It says this, You boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Verse 17 says, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Anyone who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Go back to Romans, the book of Romans. I'm going to go to chapter 6. I skipped way too much, man. Way, way too much. How many of you guys know it's okay to have a good time in church? I don't know where we developed this theology and this idea that uh, church was supposed to be boring. Somewhere in the book of uh, Ecclesiotomy. It's, some, it's, it's in there somewhere. Church, God said, therefore, church shall be boring. And uh, you shall shut your mouths and listen. You shall not respond by saying amen and hallelujah and give any sort of verbal response to the preached word of God. Amen? That's, that's in there. That's in there. That's in there somewhere. All right, so Romans chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 19. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Turn to the person on your left. Say, you're weak. Just as you used to offer your part, I'm sorry, offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. Turn to the person on your right and say, holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did it reap you at the time from the things you, uh, I'm sorry, at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? He's saying the benefits you got when you were a slave to sin is that now you have shame. So that, that's, that's an awful, awesome. How many of you guys, if you like, were going to a job and they're like, hey, we got a few perks in this job. One of the perks that we're going to give you if you take this job from us, maybe it's McDonald's or something like that. They say, guess what one of the perks we have for this job is? You get to duck your head and hide anytime any of your friends come by because you're going to be so ashamed that you work at a McDonald's, right? And so he's saying that, that, that the, the benefit of what you got by living your life of sin was shame. Those things result in death. Oh, oh, exclamation point, oh. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Is it okay if we pray? Yeah. All right. Dear God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, uh, to be in your presence. God, we thank you that you have already shown up, that you're already here, God. But I pray that right now, we would realize you're here. 
God, we, we say sometimes, come down, but literally, God, we need you to come out of us, God. We know that the Holy Spirit resides within us, and we desire for the Holy Spirit to right now come out and speak to us, God, clearly and openly about our lives so that we can be changed and we can be more like Jesus. We pray that you would reveal to us Jesus, that we could see who he is and what he was like, and we thank you and love you in your holy name. And everybody said? Everybody said? Thanks, Judah. I, tonight is a little different. If you, if it's your first time here, can I get you to raise your hand real quick? First time here. Woo woo. Welcome. We want to welcome you to Crossfire. My name's Pastor G. I'm going to do most of the talking for the night. Um, and I want to, uh, tonight is going to be a little bit different than it typically is. Normally I'm very much a screamer, a yeller. I like to get in people's faces. I like to jump off the stage. I like to pull on people's hair. I like to sit down next to you and talk to you. I'm, I'm normally very, uh, very outgoing and like, I, I just figure that I can't really sound all that smart. So I got to make sure I'm really big. So I throw my arms a lot and scream a lot and throw the fist up a lot. Um, and tonight probably will not be that same way. I don't know. I may get excited about a few points that we're going to be talking about. But tonight we're going to be dealing with an issue that I believe is plaguing not only our generation, but our nation and our world. You hear what I'm saying? It, it, see, sometimes we think that the messages we're hearing are just for youth. No, but these messages are being spoken to you because eventually you won't be youth anymore and you're going to shape and change the way that our world reacts. Amen? And so it is not just you that needs to hear this message. It's the world that needs to understand this message. The title of tonight's message, if you're taking notes, and I want to encourage you to do so, is, is God, I'm sorry, the title is, and then we go into the title, and it's, is God okay with sin? So tonight will not be as much screamy, yelly, but there's, there's four things that I really want to establish tonight. There's four things that I really want to bring out. And the first thing that I want to talk about, and the first thing that I want to answer, I'll just go through all four of them, and then we'll kind of take them one at a time. The first thing that I want to uh, talk about and establish and confirm in our hearts is what is sin? The second thing I want to talk about is how does God feel about sin? The third thing I want to say or to, uh, to this third question that I have that I hope we'll answer tonight is how do we as believers respond to sin? And then four is not a question, but a statement. And that's this, that regardless of how God feels about sin, he loves sinners. That's, that's a pretty incredible statement. On my notes, I put an exclamation point because that's pretty incredible. All right. So what is sin? Sin's a very churchy word. Isn't it? Let's be honest. It really is a very churchy word. You hear sin a lot in church. People talk about sin. It's that thing that people like, sin. Oh, sin. We've got to avoid sin. We can't sin. We've got to stay away from sin. It's a very churchy word, but it's also a very biblical word. You will read it all throughout the Bible. In the New Testament alone, the Greek word for sin appears 167 times in the New Testament. So understand that it's a churchy word and it sounds like a very religious word, but it's also the reason it's a churchy and religious word is because it's a very biblical word. And this is something that we find all throughout the Bible. We find this conflict between God's righteousness and man's sin. And so tonight what we're going to talk about is God okay with sin. And it seems like a very simple answer, doesn't it? I mean, like seriously, Pastor G, uh, obviously not. I threw it out on Facebook earlier. And I asked, is God okay with sin? And I, I basically said, how do you think God feels about sin? And, and I got all kinds of responses back of people saying, well, he's not okay with it. I mean, anyone who's been in church for two or three seconds knows and understands that God does not like sin. 
But sometimes in just saying God hates sin, we get a misunderstanding that in God hating sin, because we're sinners, God must hate us too. And there's a condemnation that falls on us when we don't really understand why God feels this way about sin. When we understand why God hates sin, and we'll get into it in a minute, when we understand why God hates sin, then we'll have a lot greater understanding about the love of God and the love that God has for us. We will, we will see God's love for us in his hate for sin. Wrap your mind around that one. <laughs> that God is going to demonstrate the love that he has for us by showing us tonight in the scripture that he hates sin. So God shows his love through hate. That's weird. I can't, I, that's a paradigm I can't even get into, man. That's just, that's just crazy. So what is sin? It's easy to get caught up in the big sins. Can we do the uh, quotation? Big sins, all right? It's easy to get caught up in the big sins in our culture, in our country. It's easy to get caught up in the things that are obvious. Well, premarital sex, that's sin, Pastor G. Don't even got to... Don't even got to look it up in the Bible. I just have been here long enough. I know it is. That's sin. Homosexuality. That's sin. Uh, uh, rebellion to your parents. That's sin. Lying. That's sin. And sometimes we get caught up in the quote unquote big sins and the sins that matter. And sometimes because we want to measure ourselves by ourselves, we look at sin and we think that this sin is greater than this sin, okay? Like homosexuality, and listen, I'm, I can't really get into, you know, my personal philosophy on homosexuality and stuff like that. So hopefully, y'all, if you, if you wonder, then you'll ask me about it, and I'll talk to you about it. But homosexuality is a worse sin than lying. Really? Did, is that in the word somewhere that I missed? I mean, I've been reading it for a little while, and I've never really read that This sin is greater than this sin, or this sin is worse than this one. Or if you commit this sin, God loves you less than if you commit this sin. No, but what I find in the Bible is that we are all sinners. That we all fall short of the glory of God. And therefore, we need a Savior. So what is sin, really? Let's define sin. Let's talk about what is it. Because we don't just want to say that, well, sin is breaking the Ten Commandments. That's that's what sin is. We don't want to throw a blanket statement over it. And the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible says this. Um, most people, I'm sorry. Most people will say that, uh, sin is disobedience, which it is the Greek word for sin. And this is something that our, our senior pastor, Aaron Taylor pointed out to us a long, long time ago. But the Greek word for sin means this missing the mark. So that if, if God has a specific goal for my life, if God has a specific plan for my life and I miss That mark, if I mess up, if I walk off the path in any way, that's sin. If God desires for me to share the gospel with somebody at Dairy Mart, and I don't do that, that's sin. We read in James that he who knows what is right and doesn't do it, sinner, that's sin. See, it's easy for us to get caught up in in, in looking at everybody else's sin. And noticing everybody else's sin. But really, the only way that we, the only sin that we can judge is our own. The only sin that we can focus on is our sin. Because the only sin that we know for sure is sin is the sin that God has convicted us about in our lives. And therefore, we don't do it. If we continue to do something that we're convicted about, we sin. 
If we miss the mark in any way, we sin. See, it's easy to get caught up in the big sins and say, well, we're gonna make a, we're gonna make a stand against abortion. But how long do you think you'll stand against abortion or homosexuality or any of the things that, that, that are, that are crippling and crushing the church? We need to make a stand against those things. We should make a stand against those things. But if we stand against those things and compromise our own lives, then we will not be able to stand for very long. As, as, as strongly as our conviction is against somebody else's sin, if we don't deal with our sin, if we don't deal with what God's speaking to us about, then our stand will be short-lived. See, we have to rely on what God is speaking to us. That's why you can't just do something because a pastor says to do it. That's why you can't just stop listening to secular music because that's what a pastor said to do. you got to hear from God. See, we can make a stand against all kinds of things. There's all kinds of sin in our world. Walk outside, we'll see it. But we need to understand that there's sin inside of us that is looking to cripple and destroy us. Whenever we don't do what God has for us, we sin. Sin, essentially, in its most simple way, is falling short of whatever it is that God has for us. So how does God feel about sin? Any opinions? Any thoughts? Are you all asleep? I mean, Dodie's got my notes back there. At least he could shout out something. <laughs> how, how does God feel about sin? Not just sin in the world, but how does God feel about your sin? Let's get it right down personal. Let's get it right down to where we're at. How does God feel about your sin? How does God feel about your rebellion? How does God feel about your failures? See, we so strongly say, and it's absolutely true, there's absolute truth in this statement, that God hates sin. And that's easy for us to say when we're talking about somebody else's sin. But when we look at our own lives and our own failures and our own problems, does God still hate sin? I mean, sin is sin. There's not a measuring stick of how bad or great sin is. It doesn't really matter. Sin is sin. And God hates it all. And God hates it in your life. See, and that statement right there has driven people away from God. Because they misunderstand the truth of that statement. That God hates sin, but He loves sinners. That although God hates the sin that you have in your life, that although God hates your failures, He doesn't hate you. God hates sin. So instead of just saying God hates sin, I'd like to, I'd like to actually talk about why God hates sin. God hates sin because it separates you. Our scripture in Romans said that we're slaves to sin. Genesis 4, 7. Let's read it together. Do we have it? Genesis 4, 7. I gotta step way back here. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you, uh, let me give you kind of a background before you read it. God is, uh, Cain is really annoyed with Abel because they both brought offerings to God and they both brought this offering, and it says that God accepted and was pleased with Abel's offering, but with Cain's offering, he was not pleased. And so Cain's kind of ticked off. He's sulking by himself. And God comes up to Cain, and he says this. 
If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. How many of you guys got your Bibles and you're open to Genesis? If you are, I want you to underline, circle, highlight, color crayon, whatever you do. I want you to underline that word have. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. See, we read in Romans that, we're, that we become a slave to sin. We're reading in Genesis that, that sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have us. Understand something, that, that you are a possession of sin. When you live in your sinful nature, we think that it's a free, we're, we're free and we do what we want. And that's, No, you are in bondage to sin. I love talking to people that, are, that smoke or do something and they're like, I can quit any time. All right, quit. I, I, I can quit any time I want to. I don't want to. Why don't you just quit? I mean, you know it's bad for you. I worked with these people, this guy, and he was like, man, I could, I could totally quit nicotine. It'd be easy for me. I, I kicked all kinds of drugs. I kicked, I kicked, uh, you know, I kicked heroin. I kicked all kinds of stuff. I, I, I don't drink anymore, and I kicked all this stuff, but I'm not, you know, I could quit smoking if I really wanted to, and I'm like, so why don't you quit? Well, because I don't really want to. See, we think that sin is a choice that we make, but sin is a bondage that we're born into. We are born into slavery to sin. Sin is not this free will choice, and we've got the ability to say, all right, I'm going to sin right now, but when I turn 23, I'm going to get serious about God, and I'm going to stop sinning. No, what you're going to do is you're going to get yourself deeper and deeper and deeper into bondage, And at 23 years old, when you try and turn around to God, you'll be separated from him. See, God doesn't hate sin just because God hates sin. Just because sometimes we think of it in this like philosophical realm, like here's God and here's evil and God hates evil. That's absolutely true. But God doesn't hate evil just for the sake of hating evil. He hates sin because it separates us from him. Because it isolates us from him. God hates sin because when we serve one master, we can't serve him. If sin is the master over us, if we're enslaved in bondage to sin, Jesus said that you cannot serve two masters. You can only have one. And so if you're a slave to sin, you cannot be a slave to righteousness as we read in Romans. The two do not go together. And so here is God, and he's laying this out for us in Romans and in Genesis, and he's saying, sin is trying to capture you and take you away from me. Sin is trying to isolate you from who I am. Sin is trying to keep you from my presence. And so he doesn't just hate sin because sin's sin and sin's bad, and we hate sin. God hates sin because it keeps us from him. God hates sin because it stops us from truly being able to serve him. There's this, we get this sense that sin, it, it, just, it just is like you know, our little habit. And we can, we can have our habit as long as we want to, and we'll kick the habit when we need to. But the Bible clearly spells out sin as bondage. It's not your Chia pet, okay? It ain't Furby. 
you don't just hang on to it for a little while and think, okay, now it's time to throw it out because 1990 was over a while ago, you know? It's not like that. Sin is not this thing that you just kind of have and, you know, it's just me and my little sin here. You know, it's not a big deal, but, you know, I'll get rid of sin when I have to. Sin is trying to capture you. It is trying to enslave you. If we're in sin, we're in bondage. And Jesus said no one can serve two masters. I just want to read this quote from J. Stott. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. Let's go back to Romans 6, 20 through 21. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? So the benefit that we get from sin is shame, right? And the the only benefit that we get from sin is shame And it's that shame that separates us from God. How many times do we see people come into church totally committed, totally on fire, they have a failing, and they never want to come back to church again? See, I'm trying to, I'm trying to really, and this is why I'm saying it's a little different than most nights, because normally I'll just scream at you enough that you start saying amen. Uh, but I'm trying to get, get you guys to wrap your heads around this. Because God doesn't just hate sin because it's sin, and that's what he does. He hates sin. He's God. He's holy. He hates sin. But God hates sin because it separates us from him. And the thing that separates us from him is the shame that comes along with sin. Adam and Eve were in the garden. Everything's perfect. God created them. They walk around with God in the cool of the day. They hang out with God. It's awesome. They have a relationship with God. All of a sudden, the very first sin in history happens. And what's the very first response that Adam and Eve have after they sin? They hide. Why? Because they were ashamed. And shame will drive us from God. Shame is one of the things that was nailed to the cross. And our sin gives us shame. The result, the benefit, the perk, if you will, of sin is the shame that we get. And Christ is saying that that shame will separate you from me. Will make it so that you cannot live committed to me. Will make it so that you're a slave to that sin because you're too ashamed to come to me. I don't even know where I'm at in my notes, guys. I'm so lost. So God hates sin because it separates us. The second reason God hates sin is because it kills you. James 1.15 says this, Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. See, we, like, this is just our sin. Not really a big deal. Like it's, like it's a mole, Right? And as ugly and as nasty as the mole is, we're too ashamed to show it to people so we, we don't go to the doctor. And eventually we find out that that mole is cancerous and it's going to kill us. It's a good illustration of sin. Because shame separates you from God, eventually that sin will kill you. It's not just some little thing. 
oh, no big deal. Like the commercials don't ignore the signs of a stroke, you know. Not a big deal, just a stroke. And that's how we treat sin. Like, oh, this is, you know, sin, homosexuality, that's wrong. Abortion, that's wrong. Masturbation, oh, yeah, that's just my little thing. That only affects me. That's, that's not a big deal. Uh, uh, yeah, abortion, that's wrong, man. That's, you shouldn't do that. And that kid over there, though, struggles with masturbation. That's saying you shouldn't do that. Rebellion to your parents, oh, that's, that really only affects me. It's easy to stand up in righteousness and holiness against sins that we don't struggle with. But you break it right down to where we are and we begin to excuse away our sin and say, oh, it's just a little thing. See, Adam and Eve, picture this with me, if you will, in the garden. Read Genesis chapter 1 and 2. The, the word that you will find repeated throughout Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is good. They had it good. God saw the sea and thought, that's good. God saw the aminals and said, I'm just making sure everybody's listening. God saw the animals and said, that's good. God saw man and he said, that's good. Everything that Adam and Eve had ever encountered in their history throughout creation is good. It was all good. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's all good. It was all good. Everything was good. Trees, good. Fruit, good. Meat, good. Zebras, pretty cool. Snakes, kind of scary. Spiders, nasty. God said they're good. 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 It was all good. And then they sin. And the consequence of their sin is now separation from God because of, of, of their sin and death. It, I don't know that it was an apple. I don't know if I can theologically prove that to you, okay? But think about the justification that Adam and Eve, Edom, that Adam and Eve must have had. It's just an apple. I mean, come on, who wouldn't? That looks good. The Bible said it was pleasing to the eye. It's just an apple. They did the same thing that we do today. It's just sin. It's just disobedience. It's it's. It's not really that big of a deal. It's, it only affects me. It's it, it's my, it's my sin. It only affects me. It's personal. No, it separates you from God, and it kills you. It separates you from God and kills you. They would have never died. They would have lived forever in paradise with God. Naked. Just throwing that in there. That's true. <laughs> Some of the guys are like. Dang it, Adam, you idiot. They would have, they would have lived forever in paradise with God. A place that He had created for them. And they would have lived there forever, but they just, it was, it's just, it's an apple. It's, it's just an apple. And the Bible says this, and I love how it says this, because God's like, they've become like us, now they know good and evil. They always knew good. Adam and Eve always understood they knew good. Now they got to understand what evil is. They always had good. 
but now they got evil. It's not a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of experience. All that they had ever experienced in their entire lives up to that point was good. And now they had evil. Jesus says, I've come to give you life. So that, when I read that, it tells me this, that without Jesus, there is no life. Without him, you're not truly alive. So sin comes to separate and to kill us. What is sin? Sin is missing the mark. And how does God feel about sin? Uh, can anybody answer that question? He hates it. Not because he hates you, but because he loves you. He hates it because he loves you. He hates it because it kills you. He hates it because it separates you. He hates it because it tries to master you. And see, we can fall in love with sin because we don't realize it's trying to control and master us. And we can make excuses for sin because we don't understand that it's trying to destroy us. But God hates it because he sees what it's doing. He sees the effects of that sin. So God hates sin, but God doesn't just hate sin because sin's evil. He's good. He hates sin because it's destroying his creation. So the first question I wanted to ask is, what is sin? The second question is, uh, what was the second question? How does God feel about sin? Third question I would like to ask and try and answer is, how do we as believers respond to sin? There's two ideas that are generally accepted in most of American Christians. And I use that word Christians very loosely. Probably the better way to say it is American churchgoers. There's two ideas that are very, very acceptable. And the first one I really like. The first one I would say that I side with this one more than the second. But the first one is grace. And the true reality of grace is this. Let me just read this. The true purpose of grace... God enables us by grace to do his will. And the false understanding of grace is Jesus gives me grace so that I can do whatever I want. We take what God has handed to us and has gifted to us through the cross and the power and the authority that Jesus earned for us by dying for us. We take that and turn it around and say, I no longer need to respond. I can just ignore sin because Jesus died for my sins. My sins are nailed on the cross with Jesus, and so I no longer have to worry. I do whatever it is I want to do. But grace is so much more than that. Grace is our opportunity to have freedom from sin. Grace is our opportunity and our strength and our power to defeat sin in our lives. Grace is like our Abraham Lincoln. And it declares for us, although it's not politically acceptable and politically fun and always politically nice, that you're free. That not although everybody wants to accept it, grace gives us the power and the authority to walk out in freedom. But too many American church people, maybe I should say it that way, too many people just use grace as my excuse. Oh, I've got the grace of Jesus. Just walking in the grace of Jesus. I'm just, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And, you know, and we continue to do whatever it is that we want to do because of the grace of God. And we ignore the sin that's still attached to us. We ignore the sin that's still trying to capture us. We ignore the sin that's still trying to destroy us. 
And then we sit and wonder why our relationship with Jesus is always so dang hard. Like, what? how come I can't just serve God? Because you can't serve two masters. Why is it so hard for me to really just, just get, why is it so hard for me to get into my word every day? Because you're still dealing with sin. Grace is your excuse for getting you into heaven. It's your get into heaven free card. But you're not willing to deal with the sin that is destroying you. Grace is our enablement to defeat sin. So there's grace. And I am a grace person. I ought to say that. I am a grace person. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his work. There's nothing that we can add to the cross. It's all about Jesus. But you've got to understand that if we use grace as an excuse for our sin, we're going to get ourselves into a lot of trouble. James 3.9 says this. No one, oh, I'm sorry, 1 John 3.9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. So I wonder if in reading that, we understand that if we still are having this struggle with sin, we still need to look to Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? If you've been born of God, anyone who continues to keep... I'll read it again. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. That doesn't make any sense because I, I answered an altar call. I, I responded. I, I said that that five-point sinner's prayer. I did that. Why do I keep sinning? Because we need to keep remembering to look to Jesus. And it's about His grace, His work, and what He's done. And so we can't use grace as our excuse to continue to sin. According to James, faith without deeds is dead. That means this. If your faith is not out where people can see it, then your faith is dead. And there is not grace working in your life. So the first thing that, 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 that we turn to and the thing that feels good to us and feels nice to us is the grace message. Okay? And we embrace the grace message because the grace message says we don't have to do anything. It was all about what Jesus did and we don't have to do anything about it. The second message, which is a little harder to understand why people grab on and hold on to this thing, is the works message. See, I like the grace message. How many of you guys like the grace message? It's all about Jesus, all about what he did. Amen? Then you got the works message, and you got churches full of people believing the works message. Now, both of these things are in the Bible, and both of these things are good. They both have a true interpretation, but they have a very false understanding. The true purpose of works is out of a desire to please our Savior, we work. The false understanding is we work to earn our salvation by denying ourselves. And we add to what Jesus did on the cross. See, the works message is a little hard to understand. Why in the world would people be so obsessed with works when it feels so much easier to just accept grace? Because our flesh and our pride gets a kick out of doing it ourselves. In in a real spiritual sense, how many of you guys have ever read a scripture and had God speak it to you? And you're just like, oh my gosh, that is so awesome. You may have been told that very same thing through a message, through somebody else who was saying, but when we learn it for ourselves, we just feel so good. I mean, we feel really good about what happened. Even a lazy guy, like, don't admit to this, but 
There's probably a person in the room who's the laziest person in the room. Um, all right, so we got a confessor. All right. Even the laziest person in the room, if you work one nice hard day's work, at the end of that day, you'll go to bed feeling good about yourself. See, our flesh gets a kick. Thanks, Judah. Our flesh gets, when I say that, me and Johnny listen to Judah Smith podcast. And so when I say something that he says, I say, thanks, Judah, in acknowledgement to the bond that we share or bondage, whatever it is. Um, Our flesh gets a kick out of doing these works. Because it, Jesus, what Jesus did was great, but I gotta, I gotta kinda add to what Jesus did. I gotta work hard. I gotta make it happen. See, that's reality. We should work. We should have, have deeds. We should have, we should, our lives should be living out the faith that we say we believe. See, man is moved by, sorry. Man is moved by belief. And some of us say, well, I believe this or I believe that. Well, you don't, it's not necessarily what you tell me you believe. It's about what I see in your life. And that shows me what you believe. What you believe is not the 10 statements of faith that are found on your church website. What you believe is what you live out in front of your friends. So if you don't share the gospel with your friends, it is a confession that you and your status is more important than Jesus and his name. Oh, I told you, James, anytime they go to James, this is going to be bad. You just you know going into it. It's just going to be bad. I don't know what I was saying. James, something like that. So we try and add to what Christ does. Works out of a desire to please the God who saved us. Deeds, we serve God because we love him. We serve God because we want His name to be lifted high. We serve God because we want Him to get the glory. We work hard in school because we want God to get the glory. We talk appropriately to our friends because we want God to get the glory. We submit to our parents because we want God to get the glory. Not because if we submit to our parents, we might just make it into heaven. Works has nothing to do with your salvation. Except for the fact that it's a response of your salvation. You will not be more loved by God no matter how hard you work. You will be not be more accepted by God no matter how hard you work. You will not be more righteous in God's eyes no matter how hard you work. It all depends on Jesus. And so when we take Jesus and we try and add to what Jesus did by our works, we cripple ourselves. And we find ourselves missing the mark. See, because I said this last week, the solution to sin is not stop sinning. The solution to sin is Jesus. As simple and as easy as that sounds, that's what it is. Because in our love for Jesus, in our desire to please him, when we have a relationship with him, we will begin to not sin. Galatians 2.21 says this, For those of you that are into this works thing, I do not set aside the grace of God, for, it is, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. It's all about Jesus. 
If you could do it, if you could achieve it, if you could make it happen, then Christ died for nothing. He should have never taken the nails. He should have never been on the cross. If you can do it. It's got to be about Jesus. And we work out of his desire to please him. We stop we stop putting ourselves in situations to commit sin because we desire to please God. So the response to what God has done and the way that we're supposed to respond to sin, now that we're saved, now that we've accepted God, how do we respond to sin? The same way we responded to sin when we weren't saved, we repent. Repentance is the only true way to respond to to sin. Because what is sin? It's missing the mark. It's messing up. What does sin do? It, it separates us from God. It causes us to have shame. And it kills us. So if I'm walking towards sin, whether or not I'm a Christian or not, whether or not I'm going to heaven or not, if my life is in, in pursuit and in slavery to sin, the, the way that I get out of that is I turn and I follow Jesus. And sometimes we think about repentance as a prayer at an altar. But repentance is literally a turning around and going a different direction. And the only way that we can appropriately respond to sin as a Christian is to turn away from it. And to pursue Jesus. Your pursuit of Jesus will stop you from sinning. If you find yourself constantly in this state where you keep struggling with this same sin and you just can't seem to get out of it. Check how hard you're really pursuing your Lord and Savior. Check how hard you're really going after God. Check how hard you really want a relationship with Him. Well, I, not in the notes. May not include it on the podcast. I feel really led to say this right now. There are churches full of people still in bondage. Because they're not pursuing God. And they're going to grow frustrated and quit church and leave God because they accepted God because they wanted to stop sinning. And they're still sinning. Or they accepted God because they wanted to fix their marriage. Or they accepted God because they wanted to have better grades. Or they accepted God for whatever reason. And yet, they're not pursuing God. They're just pursuing fixes to their problems. And I want to just say this. As we grow up and we become the generation that rules the world and we become the future church, your pursuit needs to be Jesus. Your pursuit has to be God. Your pursuit has to be what Jesus does. As long as we're focused on the sin we're trying to stop doing, we'll continue to do that sin because we're focused on the sin and not the sin freer. That's, I told you it wasn't in my notes. I didn't think about saying this. We got to focus on Jesus. We got to look to Jesus. We got to run to Jesus. We got to go for Jesus because then we'll start finding ourselves and going, hey, why don't I struggle with that anymore? Oh, it's because I got a Savior who loves me and I love him back. And we got a great relationship that's going on. It ain't worth messing it up. See, my relationship with my wife ain't worth messing up with some girl. It's just not worth it. I love my wife. She loves me. We take care of each other. You love your God. He'll love you. He'll, we'll, you all take care of each other. 
And those sins that so easily entangle and those things that continue to trip us up and we say, well, I'm a teenager. I'm supposed to struggle with this thing. Well, I'm, I'm supposed, I'm supposed to, this is what I'm supposed to do. It's every man's struggle. Pursue Jesus. Run after Jesus. Decide that Jesus is more important. I, I don't know what that had to do with anything. Hopefully some of y'all were blessed. So the only appropriate response to our sin is repentance. Jesus' love causes us to turn from sin towards him and to make God our master. To make him our master. So we've had three questions so far. So first, can you bring them up for me? Just, that'd be awesome. What is sin? What is sin? It's missing the mark. It's messing up. It's, it's not doing what God has best for you. How does God feel about sin? hates it but he doesn't hate you the reason he hates sin is because he loves you and you need to hear that and how do we as christians respond to sin repentance turning from sin and turning to god i hope that in your hearts those questions are answered now i want to make a statement Regardless of how God feels about sin, and we know that he hates it, God loves sinners. Why, oh why, oh why would you love sinners? Go with me to Isaiah chapter 64. Caitlin, if you want to come up and start playing, that'd be good. That'd be a good time. Isaiah chapter 64. If you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. I'm starting verse 5. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts, all of our works, are like filthy rags. We are all shriveled up like a leaf, And like the wind, our sins sweep away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. That scripture, I read it at the men's retreat, and it really began to break me. I even started asking a couple people. I just made the statement, no one seeks God. No one goes after God. No one pursues God. And then you read... In the next chapter, chapter 65, verse 1, and this is God speaking. He says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call my name, I said, here I am. Here I am. That even though we didn't look for it, we didn't pursue it, We didn't go after it. God showed himself to us. See, you didn't find Jesus. He was never lost. You finally opened your eyes and saw that he was right there. And that God has been pursuing us since the beginning of time. Since the original sin, since Adam and Eve failed, God has been pursuing us and desiring us and coming after us and trying to get our attention and trying to get our affection and 
Because he loves us. See, even though God hates the very thing we're in, even though our righteousness is as filthy rags, even though no one pursues him and no one seeks after him, he revealed himself to us. And he showed himself to us. That quote that I read from Jay Stott earlier, I want to finish it up because I didn't read the whole quote. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. And the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Second Corinthians says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we would be saved. But we didn't earn it. We, we didn't deserve it. My sin deserves judgment. My mistakes, my failures, my shortcomings, my missing the mark deserves judgment. And yet, he's running after me. We don't deserve that. We didn't earn that. This unfailing, unwavering love that He continues to pour out upon us. The Bible says that He pours it out on us lavishly. That He just opens up heaven and shoots down love to us. Just throws it on us and piles it on us. All this love that He has for us. Y'all were caught up in the song as I came over here after worship. How he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. I hope that some of you experienced God's lavish love in that moment. I hope that some of you experienced God beginning to pour himself out to you. See, because we're sinners and we don't deserve it. The essence of sin is that we took the place of God. See, because the reality is, is that we're not really, sin is not our master when we're struggling with sin. We are. And we choose these things that God would not have for us. And we choose these things that destroy us. And we choose these things that separate us. And yet, and yet, God pursued us. When we didn't seek him. God came after us when we didn't love him. Loved him? I don't know if that's... God came after us. Can you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? It's interesting how the Bible says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. We got to be in Christ. Our pursuit has to be Jesus. I'm going to ask two questions tonight.